Today, we will learn about the key values and challenges of using reverse osmosis and nanofiltration membranes in dairy processing and what engineers and operators often do wrong, which causes the membrane damage or the membrane plant shut down. Moreover, we will learn about the path of spiral bond RO and NF in the dairy processing and which RO and NF futures still did not exist in the dairy market yet. So, um, in this episode, I'm speaking with Jorgen Wagner, the pioneer of design calculation engine for reverse osmosis and nanofiltration in the dissemination, of course. He is a chemical engineer by training from the Technical University of Denmark back to 1971. He is the creator of the first simulation engine for RO and NF membranes in the dissemination world. He is the author of the Handbook of Membrane Filtrations. He has written several scientific articles and industrial case studies, and the list goes on and on. Jorgen now is part-time um, uh, working as a consultant for several companies. His focus area is filtration on water and process applications. I've learned a lot from Jorgen in the last two years about the dairy space, how to use the RO and NF membrane, technical hints, how to design the plants, and of course the things that I should be careful on whenever I'm 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 I'm, um, I'm working on the dairy space. So welcome Jorgen. Um, I think you spent f almost four decades in the, the in the in the membrane world and especially in process applications. I have given a little bit of your background so why don't you give us a bit more of your background and what you have accomplished so far in the process applications thanks Hakim for this introduction and for allowing me to be part of this I started way back when in the very beginning meaning around 1972 where very few knew about membranes and where even fewer understood what they could do and how they worked. So the last 45 years has been one long learning curve. The first decade or so, two weeks of vacation meant that I had to learn a lot of new things which has happened during the vacation time. I find it interesting that membrane filtration started with RO. The processes which we know as NF and UF did not exist and no membranes were available. It took several years before good UF membranes were developed and it lasted until the mid-90s <coughs> before decent NF membranes were developed. In CA, sorry, in, in 1971, CA was the main membrane polymer. Dupont hollow fine fibers in nylon was the exception. And neither is really suitable for the dairy industry. CA because it's very sensitive to pH and hollow fibers due to the module design. For UF, the breakthrough in the dairy industry came 1974 with the 10 kilodenton polysulfone UF membrane. It was and is very stable. It tolerates extreme pH, temperature and chlorine. Now, 45 years later, 10K and 5KD polysulfone membranes are still the most used type of UF membrane in the dairy industry. For RO, the breakthrough came early in the uh, 1980s with the FT30 from North Star Laboratories. That membrane was tight enough and resistant enough to be used in dairies. That type of membrane is still produced in huge quantity, with Filmtech 
part of Dow DuPont as a major producer. So five years later, desalination systems marketed the Desal 5 type DK as a true nanofiltration membrane. Chemically, it was quite similar to the FT30, but with a different rejection characteristic. This membrane enabled sodium chloride to go through the membrane while rejecting lactose, proteins, fat, and calcium salts. So mid-1980s, the membranes we know today were available, and it is basically the same membranes which we are using today, 2019. About the membrane modules, in the 70s, four module types dominated the dairy industry. Plate and frame from the Danish DDS for RO and UF, a plate system from Dor Oliver only for UF, a one-inch tubular system from Coke for UF, and a fiber system from Romicon, also uh, UF. But during the 80s and the 90s, spiral-wound modules replaced all these systems, and that is still the situation today, 2019. With about membranes for treatment and water and dairy processes, by RO water, two facts are radically different from RO in the dairy industry. Water can be intensively pretreated to prevent precipitation, and cross flow over the membrane is not critical. And in a dairy, pretreatment is very little, uh, limited, and little or no chemical modification of the dairy products are allowed. Consequently, the membrane and system must be able to handle whatever is in the dairy product. Cross-flow in dairy is critical since concentration polarization and protein precipitation is heavily influenced by cross-flow. By water RO, the cross-flow and plant capacity is linked, so cross-flow tends to be very low. By RO, the cross-flow and the capacity is decoupled due to the plant design. The result is that a company designing water plants have little or no understanding of a dairy plant design. The dairy plant design will work well on water, but it's more complicated and more expensive, so it's rarely used. You can radically say that water RO and dairy RO has only one thing in common, and that is the membrane. Not even the module, only the membrane is the same. So membrane module, module design, housing design, plant design, plant components, controls, and CIP is completely different in the two processes. It is just I couldn't agree more. I mean, I it's that's exactly what I what I faced when I started working with Dow. Um, I get several training from um, from people who work in, in desalination in water applications. I get training in Rosa in Wave, it, all all the software simulation for the for the water applications. And uh, most of people that look for the permeates. So when I go to the dairy space, most of people they're looking for the written tape. So they don't want to lose so much in permeates. Well, in, 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 in water applications, they don't care about the retentate most of the time. For them, it's wastewater. Um, so Jorgen, you have changed several roles and companies, but you remain focusing on membrane technologies applied to process applications. So what keeps you loyal to the membrane world and not shifting your career to other technologies like electrodialysis or evaporator, for instance, or maybe two different industries, like automotive or whatever. 
Well, I stayed in the membrane uh, RONF for the simple reason that it, for me, after 45 years, still is very, very interesting. There are so many new things to learn and do. RO, NF and UF has been mentioned so far, but and they are pressure-driven processes, but there are other membrane processes and other means of driving the process. Uh, by forward osmosis, which is a new process, the driving uh, force is osmotic pressure. Electrodialysis is using electric potential, and uh, they are still what you can call liquid-liquid processes since there are no phase change. Pervaporation is driven by a temperature. But, and since there are gas on the permeate side, it can be called liquid gas separation. And there are even membranes used to separate gases, for example, oxygen from nitrogen, and that is a pressure-driven gas-gas process. And in the industry, we are so proud of what we can do, but the membranes in our body and our cells can make separation much better than we can industrially. However, industrial membranes can do something which is not really possible by cells, treating large volumes, but we can still learn from ourselves and improve. Evaporation is a very well-established technology and also a very old one, and I find it a bit boring since I find new development and findings in evaporation few and far between. Electrodialysis is an interesting membrane process, however, I happen to live in a country where there is an abundance of possibilities for RONF and UF in the dairy industry. There are companies and there are end users, so I never really considered to leave RO. I feel the same thing, Jorgen. And uh, I mean, I agree with you. Process applications is um, it's actually an, an exciting space to be uh, for me as well. And I believe it will remain a rich uh, market for innovation and development. Before stepping into the dairy business discussion, I would like you brief comments on why the water and process markets have been dominated by spiral wound RO and NF membranes, while the hollow fiber as well as the pleasant frame were not so successful like spiral wound. Well, there are a few points which make spirals very, very interesting. Uh, they are compact and they are relatively inexpensive. They have sufficiently good tolerance to the components you find in milk and cheese whey, and you can make a fast change of a large membrane area. Also, the energy consumption is relatively low, so combine those and you have a receipt for success. But honestly, spiral wound membranes were in the early days not well suited for the dairy process, and neither for the industrial processes, but trial and error and many expensive mistakes have resulted today in a spiral mod round module which are very well suited for the dairy industry. Be aware that the different membrane configurations have different uh, advantages which is seen in the various applications. Spirals is definitely dominating RO. There's a small amount of hollow fiber on the market but uh, the main competition is evaporation and evaporation and RO are complementary rather than competitors. NF spirals are used a lot. No other membrane configuration is used in quantity. Uh, the main competition is electrodialysis and ion exchange. UF spirals are used a lot in the dairy industry, 
but other processes uh, use hollow fiber systems and plate and frame systems um, and they're used much more in some wastewater applications since they tolerate suspended solids better but in the dairy industry uf smiles is definitely the main uh, product used mf smiles are used in the dairy industry but fiber systems and ceramic systems are often better suited than polymer membranes for that uh, <coughs> which is called cold sterilization great now let's get down to business uh, would you describe in short how um, the dairy design for our own nf i mean plant should look like i mean um, typically in water applications we are talking about christmas tree design um, we are talking about cleaning once per quarter or once per year um, based on the normalization once we normalize the flux and the pressure drop then we need to uh, to, to clean the membrane um, in water applications also we talk about um, uf treatment conventional pretreatment we so many things we we use to to work on 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 um, on, uh, on water applications where we have seven elements in one pressure vessel for example would you give us a little bit um how the plant looks like in the daily space and also what is the operating parameter temperature pressure etc well <clears throat> for such an explanation i prefer so to speak to talk on a piece of paper but i should try to do it in words a water ro plant is simple you have one feed pump which, which pressurizes the water and sends it into the plant and the feed flow is there divided into permeate and concentrate which leaves the plant straight through and there are very little and very few controls the pressure drop drops uh, so the pressure drops throughout the ro plant meaning that the driving force is smaller at the outlet than at the inlet and polymers for piping is common housings are always glass fiber reinforced polyester and each housing will typically contain six to eight elements operating serials spirals are glass fiber coated and just to repeat what i started saying one pump only often a multi-stage pump from Danish Grundfos. A dairy plant is much more complicated. The only material of construction is 316 Danish steel, or even better. There are often several pumps in series in order to achieve the necessary feed line pressure. The pumps are sanitary and quite expensive. The mechanical seals must be able to tolerate up to 40 bar pressure, which is an unusual demand. After the feed pump or feed pumps, the housings are arranged in so-called loops, each with a pump recirculating product at high velocity over the membranes. The loop pumps are sanitary and special since the feed pressure is high. The housings contain somewhere between five, three and five elements per housing, three to four by UF, four to five by RO and NF. In each loop, the housings are in parallel and the elements in the housings are in series. In a dairy system, there are many controllers. You control the feed flow, the feed pressure, the concentrate flow, the temperature, and today, literally, all pumps are frequency controls. The use of loops in series means that the driving force is constant throughout the plant. Um, 
And there's one very big difference. In a water system, if you clean more than once per year or two times per year, it's considered excessive. In a dairy system, you must clean every 24 hour hours once, or for some applications, even twice per 24 hours. Fair enough. Um, would you uh, uh, summarize briefly the key applications of using RO and NF membranes in the daily um, applications? I mean, for instance, we know in water applications, brackish seawater, that's the widely used and also sometimes wastewater treatments. But I know in, in daily spaces, um, every application is quite, it's kind of, I, w I wouldn't say it's unique, but different from the other application in terms of, you know, so many details need to be taken on in terms of design, cleaning, etc. Would you just briefly give us hints how many applications we have in the daily space? There are many, many applications. Uh, the where it all started with RO a cheese whale, and uh, that is still a very big application, concentrating from the usual six percent up to twenty twenty five percent. But also today, there are RO of skimmed milk, there are RO lactose solutions. So besides that, RO is used for polishing, uh, RO permate, NF and UF permate, simply in order to reduce the BOD discharge. And by this polishing, which actually also can be done for evaporator condensate, it is possible to recover high quality water, which can be used instead of tap water. NF is primarily used for concentrating cheese whey with the extra objective to reduce the content of monovalent salts like sodium chloride. That started very early when NF of salty cheddar whey was uh, started up. For UF, uh, UF is used uh, for milk and for whey in very many different processes. In the beginning, uh, Okay, in the beginning uh, it was to make whey protein concentrates um, and it was used to make baby food and today uh, originally whey was a byproduct to cheese production. Today you can say cheese production is a byproduct to whey production because companies are making so much money on the whey protein products. You may see abbreviations like WPC and WPI, meaning whey protein concentrate and whey protein isolate. And baby food is a really big use. And think about China. They had a disaster some years ago. Uh, some of the producers added melamine, yeah. which is a polymer, plastic polymer, into the baby food. So the Chinese were buying lots and lots of baby food from European countries. UF skimmed milk is used to make a milk protein concentrate with low lactose content, so you have MPC and MPI. And there's a lot of pre-concentration of whole milk prior to cheese production. And the largest applications are for feta cheese, also known as white cheese, and for mozzarella cheese. Um, pre-concentration of skim milk is used for several types of acidified products. Yogurt is well known. Uh, Scandinavian products like Ümer may be known, and there's uh, Icelandic Skia, which is not so well known, but uh, it is being done. 
And also there are specialized fractionation of milk and whey proteins where you can make very special diet foods and very special foods for um, sports, uh, very demanding sports where proteins have to be isolated. Okay, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, I, I learn also when you mention it's most profitable, I learned that in the past way stream was considered as wastewater. I mean, they feed it to the pigs, they, they, what they told me in the past. And then and recently, whey is actually the most valuable component they have in the industry. And I learned from one of the big um, uh, dairy processor in Europe, they told me sometimes they keep cheese production running, not because they are profitable, but simply because they make money out of, they need whey actually, they, they make money out of whey. Yeah, so Jorgen, obviously, I know that you have been involved in, in, in so many daily applications, and I know that you have been involved from the concepts, from the first, from the ID, and then through the implementation, and then sometime also to the, you know, the commissioning of the plant, and, and sometime if the plant is not working fine, you also, they call you for the troubleshooting. Now, if, if you could summarize the, the key mistakes made by engineers and operators while working in the three phases. I mean, the design, the plants, commissioning and operating, and the troubleshooting. So what are those key mistakes? And I, I, I wouldn't say, I'm not forgetting the, the piloting, because the piloting is somewhat combined with the, with, the, with the design. Well, the good news is, uh in plant design, very, very few people make mistakes these days. They have made them 20, 30 years ago. A system today usually always work. The one thing that some do, they undersize the system, uh, get it up and running, realize it's undersized and add more membrane area. That's not a real mistake. It's more a way to buy a system. But one of the problems is in pretreatment is that pasteurization is almost always done and always, always necessary. And if the pasteur is not dimensioned correctly, typically it's too small, it will have a negative effect on the capacity. It's up to the dairy to solve that problem and it's not really a membrane related, but it's a problem. And here it's a paradox that the objective of the pasteur is to increase the number of calcium phosphate crystals in the cheese whey. And it's a, a strange because suspended solids are mostly seen as negative. However, in this case here, the calcium phosphate will tend to precipitate on the crystals rather than on the membranes. So the crystals help to keep membranes surface clean. Defatting is always, almost always done also. And um, the target is, as a rule, to have less than 0.0% fat in the product coming to the membrane system. Because the fat smears on the membrane, making it less permeable, so capacity goes down, and uh, that's not so nice. In cheese whey, there are small bits and pieces of the cheese, called cheese vines, and they can't be removed by a clarifier but the clarifier must be correctly dimensioned and maintained. If not, cheese fines will eventually block the flow channels and that means complete failure of the spiral wound membranes. Since clarifiers are expensive and since the capacity is low, 
fine separations, uh, in fine by fine separations, it has happened many times that the installed clarifier did not have sufficient capacity. Remedy: buy a new and bigger clarifier. CIP: a dairy plant must be cleaned every 24 hours, and you need good quality uh, chemicals uh, to achieve a good cleaning. If not, cheese fines and fat uh, will not be removed. And there are two uh, major suppliers of chemicals worldwide, Equilab and Diversi. There is also an abundance of smaller companies everywhere. The two major companies have experienced literally everything which can go wrong in cleaning. So there's a safe and maybe the most expensive choice of suppliers. Water quality is uh, sometimes a problem. The demand is quite stringent. The most common problem comes from iron, also called uh, iron hydroxide or rust, humic acid and high hardness. And bacteria can also be a, a problem unless the water is chlorinated. But then dechlorination is mandatory. It's quite easy to uh, meet the demands of water quality, but it is an unwanted expense. It just has to be done. Then there are unwanted chemicals. A rare but very serious problem is the use of antifoam agents prior to membrane filtration. And uh, that could, foam can be seen in cheese production and uh, by evaporation, and it can be managed by chemicals. But unfortunately, the chemicals used are also membrane killers. So a membrane can literally in minutes go from 100% capacity to 0% capacity. And it's very hard to trace such chemicals, and the end user may be very reluctant to admit having used them, and he may even be aware of their use by his suppliers. In a few cases, resurrection of the membrane has been possible. Simply soaking in an abundance of good membrane detergent can help. The large amount of detergent will swap place with the antifoam agent, and it's a bit like regenerating an ion exchanger. That's, I would say, this is the the bit of the distillation of the knowledge that is that has been generated in in Europe. I would say in most of with, with the European OEMs. Now um, I know that in Europe and in in North America, there are enough OEMs which can build RO and NF plants for dairy processing. So what about membranes in the dairy processing in the emerging regions like? Africa, China, India, Latin America, where they have small OEMs, startup OEMs. Sometimes they have water OEMs who want also to step in the dairy space. So what do you recommend to them? Do they need um, you know, uh, to cooperate with bigger OEMs? Do they need to do the piloting from the scratch? Do they need to repeat and generate the knowledge that has been generated by the big OEMs in Europe or consulting, so what are they need to do? Well, it's my experience that the big dairy OEMs are present globally. The Gears, the Tetra Pak, Alpha Laval, and uh, some 40 years of designing dairy systems uh, have also resulted in a large number of smaller local com uh, companies which have sufficient know-how. So in my opinion, the dairies in India, South America and other emerging countries 
should be able to find a good dairy supplier um, reasonably locally. And there are no trainings that I know of for emerging small companies. Um, however, what I have experienced is that the dairy employees, uh, sorry, the employers in the dairy uh, OEMs, they change job very often. And in doing so, they start their own company. So know-how is spreading literally by itself. And um, I have never been in a position where I have needed to uh, help new dairy OEMs. So, good. What, what do the end users in general, and especially in dairy processing in, in, in those emerging countries, what should they consider before building a plant? Well, it's a very easy question, and it's very hard for me to answer since the problem facing a dairy owner is rarely the membrane related. But I can point out a few points. They need something as simple as a good supply chain of milk. And in the emerging countries, that is not a very easy job. You also need a very reliable source of good quality water. You need a possibility to discharge the dairy wastewater and CIP chemicals. You need a very reliable source of electric power. And uh, last but not least, in the emerging countries, a good understanding of lactose intolerance, because that is uh, something which we see very rarely in Europe. But in, uh, for example, the Far East, lactose intolerance is a problem which must be dealt with and which can be handled. Yeah. And... Yeah, and for instance, just to I mean to share with you what I learned recently, um, I was last year in China, that um, uh, the cow is given 2.1% protein content, and they are looking to use our membrane to concentrate the milk and increase the protein at the level which is in Europe 3.8%. So they are also in 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 those in those region looking. I mean, th I would say they're facing a situation which sometimes different than what, what what we learn in Europe. So I, I, I never, I'm not sure, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I never learned that in Europe, cow are, are giving 2.2% protein. What do you comment on that? You're right about that here. The, the European cows tend to give uh, 3, 3.5% 3 protein. Whether that is due to the... Um, breeding or the type of cow, I don't know. Uh, but higher protein levels are common. Uh, at least you can say with membrane filtration, it's very easy to, uh, to increase the protein level. Uh, but then again, if you look on what a baby needs, um, that might not really be the best choice. If I remember correctly, uh, from many years ago when I was uh, bottle feeding my babies, we had to dilute cow's milk with water and some uh, sugar uh, in order not to overfeed them with proteins. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how the problems are or what the uh, precise demands are, but I don't see that as a real big issue. But if it is an issue, yes, we can solve it. And now, what about the next best alternatives uh, for RO and NF? I mean, uh, we know that there are technologies which are competing against reverse osmosis and nanofiltration, and especially in the dairy processing. 
Would you tell us briefly what are those technologies and in which process applications can those technology actually compete against an RO and NF or maybe do better and vice versa? For RO, there's no doubt that the main competition is evaporation. Um, the One of the biggest advantages by RO is that there's no heat treatment, whereas with evaporation you cannot uh, avoid heating, and that will uh, damage the protein and that can change the taste. What evaporators can, they can go to higher solids than RO can, but um, they are, I would say they are really more complementary than they are competing with each other. For NF, it's a very unique process and there's nothing which really competes with nanofiltration. The closest you can get is electrodialysis, where you can use electric power to pull out the salts. But NF is also at the same time concentration, uh, concentrating proteins and lactose, which is something electrodialysis cannot do. So therefore, I see no real competition to nanofiltration. UF is also rather unique in the dairy industry. There have been a few applications where uh, gel chromatography could do the same purification or maybe even a better purification of the proteins, but that's a rare thing. UF is unique. When it comes to microfiltration, uh, you can say that cold sterilization with microfiltration is in direct competition with pasteurization. Um, here, uh, it seems to me that the cold sterilization with microfiltration is slowly winning a bigger and bigger market share because, again, no heat is needed, no change of taste takes place. So, all in all, the performance of membranes is unique and there's no easy way to replace uh, any other processes with one other process. In terms of um, OPEX, I mean operation expense, um, do you have any figures just for, uh, I mean, for us to understand what does mean using our own NF versus um, thermal evaporator or mechanical vapor recompressor? I mean, in terms of how many kilowatt per hour per cubic meter, for example? Well, when you compare RO, NF, to evaporation, I would say RO is by far the least expensive. It also uses less energy than the evaporator. With RO, you may use four to five kilowatt hour per cubic meter a permit, where even a very, very, very efficient uh, MVR will use 11 kilowatts. And a more standard MVR would use 30 to 35 kilowatt hours. And if you look on a thermal evaporator, it will use at least 150 kilowatt hours per cubic meter per made. So from energy point of view, uh, RO is by far the most efficient. A detail which is sometimes forgotten is RO uses a lot less space than an evaporator. An evaporator would need a building maybe 15 meter high. RO can be put into a standard room. But what RO an evaporator can do, it can concentrate to higher solids than RO, and you can say in some respect our, an evaporator is more uh, um, robust. But uh, the, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the two does not really compete so very much. They are complementary, uh, but that is the pros and cons. Okay. So 
our own NF should have some drawbacks. Uh, what are the drawbacks of using RO and NF technologies, in, especially in the in dairy processing? That's a simple answer. There are two drawbacks by RO and NF. pH, I don't know whether you will call it tolerance or intolerance. pH 11 or 11.5 is usually said to be maximum pH, but uh, if you could use pH 13 with 2 to 4% sodium hydroxide, that would make cleaning much more easy and much, much faster. By UF, such membranes are available, and I know it is possible to make RO and NF like that, but it's not commercially available. About oxidizing, and no commercially available RO and NF tolerate any kind of uh, oxidizer, like chlorine, for example. Even nitric acid is a problem. Um, if it could tolerate uh, just a little bit of chlorine, it would be possible to use chlorinated tap water, and that would make life a lot more easy. When it comes to temperature, you say, Spirals, they are pretty good. They can tolerate up to 80 degrees C in special design. Uh, if it was possible to go a bit higher, it would be nice, but uh, it's not really a major demand. And then I just mentioned one problem, uh, which I see in other industries, solvents. Uh, not That's not a problem in dairy industry, but in pharmaceutical, that is a serious, serious problem where membranes in reality tolerate next to nothing except ethanol. Very good. I think this this took me to to the direction of um, of asking this question, which is, what are the futures or the things that you think RO and NF technologies are not yet able or not mature enough to deliver for the dairy applications, but they should do. The the NF and RO are pretty much meeting the demands that they should and uh, which are coming from the dairy industry. But there is a trend to work at higher and higher pressure, which is a bit of a challenge for the uh, element producers. The membrane as such is uh, not the problem. Uh, you may know, uh, may think uh, that uh, by RO of seawater you walk, uh, work at 70 bar. So there, from that point of view, 60 bar is not that high but the rest of the equipment um, is very difficult to get in this high-pressure design. Uh, for RO and NF, viscosity is not really an issue, not with the products treated, but uh, that is one place where UF elements could imp uh, improve, where you could allow higher viscosity and thereby higher pressure drops. That is today a limiting factor, but it's not a very strong demand. Great, so we are getting close to the end of the show. Um, this is one of the questions that I ask most of the time, most of my guests. Um, could you share with us if you have ever participated in humanitarian projects and what are what were the key learnings from that project? I have indirectly been involved in water projects in third world countries. RO and NF can in principle do a great job but non-membrane issues like politics, corruption, lack of technical skills, lack of money, and lack of understanding RO have stopped so many projects. Seen from my point of view, a serious problem is that the raw material coming to RO and NF 
is poorly defined. And uh, if your membrane shall not uh, fail, the feed to it must be consistent. But when you think about a muddy river where you have mud today, no mud tomorrow, a dead hippo today, not a dead hippo tomorrow, uh, things change, you, you cannot really control it. And uh, the, uh, that is very hard for the membranes. And any membrane system will work fine day one. Day 100, it may not. Here's uh, important to remember, membranes do not lie. Because a membrane does whatever it can on any product you feed to it. And if the membrane fails, it's not the problem of the membrane, it's you, the operator. So maintenance, however, is a key issue. And in very small and far away villages, there may not be technically skilled people. Maybe the bicycle uh, repairman is the most skilled. So all in all, in third world countries, sometimes less advanced and less sophisticated solutions are chosen than RO and NF if these other solutions are more robust. Yes, and that's, this is the second question that's also um, often asked, which is um, if you would pick up one process technology that you think or believe could shift the dairy processing markets, what would be this technology and why? Um, can I stop for a second? Um, that was... I cannot really point out to one single technology which radically will change the dairy process market. But uh, I will ask uh, a dairy operator and see what I can find out about that here. But what could shake the whole dairy processing industry and the membrane producing industry is what I call for the killer element. Uh, by that I mean a spiral bound membrane with improved capabilities. And there's a long wish list high pH, low pH, oxidizer, solvents, high temperature, high flow, high pressure drop. And of course, it must have the same or higher flux than standard today, and it must have the same or better rejection or separation what is standard today. And I know very well today, 2019, that's a dream. Uh, some of this can't be manufactured, and when you think about it, how little membranes actually have changed over the last 40 years, I find it is possible to make considerably better RO and F elements. However, it also seems to me that the membrane producers find little or no reason to spend time and money working on such elements. Turnover is too good and increasing, and the processed end users are reasonably happy with the products they can buy, and they are not loudly demanding for improved elements. So maybe I'm dreaming, maybe in my next life. That could be, I don't know, could be realized in this life when you never know. <laughs> and my last question to you, Jorgen, um, what are your ongoing projects? Are you working with um, uh, on some new filtration with universities or uh, companies or I mean, something new that you are working on? 
Well, I'm not working with universities and I never have because I simply find them to be way too academic and too far from the real world. So right now what I have is a few ongoing products in the membrane industry and I only have few which is fine with me because I'm 73 years old. I'm doing a bit of consultancy work for a major dairy company and for a major pharmaceutical company. Um, I spend a lot of time working on this, a design program for dairy products. And you probably know all dairy OEMs have such programs and each of the companies guard them as gold. My version is not so secret. Unfortunately, such programs are a never-ending story because processes change, membranes change, systems change. I have to look into milk from cow, buffalo, goat, sheep, horse, camel, and so on, and so on, and so on. And I'm, for my own benefit, reviving an old water design program which is unique since it can calculate both single pass and multi-state recirculation systems, just like a dairy system. I do that as a hobby since I know that very few, if any, will design a water system like that. It's a bit strange considering the technical advantages as a multi-state system, but there you are. Thank you very much, uh, Jürgen Wagner, for the fruitful discussion. We learned a lot. I think the audience also has picked up so many things from this, uh, from this discussion. And uh, my last question to you, how can our audience get in touch with you? You can find me on several email addresses. Maybe the easiest one is jorgen at membraneconsult.com. And if you didn't get this here, contact Hakim. He knows where to find me. Thank you very much, uh, Jorgen, and uh, have a nice day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.